to KindCast. My name is Allison and I am the creator and host of this show. Uh, today I am interviewing Dr. Stacey Taninchev, Associate Professor of Political Science at Gonzaga University. Today we will be discussing the ethics of coffee as that is her, re, where one of her research interests lies and is the topic of one of her classes. So welcome. Thank you. Um, so to start, talk to me a little bit about like your research interests as well as coffee, your coffee ethics class. Okay. So my, actually I have not done any research for actual publication or anything like that in the field of coffee, but I, when I was doing my PhD, I actually studied agricultural lobbying in the European Union. And so I think that's where I got my first interest in the intersection between agriculture and politics. Um, and so when it came to revising our core curriculum at Gonzaga, um, I got the idea to do a first-year seminar course on coffee um, because those courses are interdisciplinary. And so we can look at coffee in so many different ways. And, I mean, certainly it, it is uh, political, but it's and economics is also involved, of course, in history. And those are the three fields that I focus on a lot in the course. But it's also very important to look at the environmental issues surrounding coffee, which we cover in the course a little bit under conservation biology. Um, so it's just a, a, it's a great topic for looking at different disciplines and how we ask questions and how we look for answers to those questions. Um, so, but as I, you know, have done more research for the course, I've gotten, become a lot more knowledgeable about coffee and become more interested in possibly doing you know, actual research where I would um, publish a paper or something. So that's where I am with it right now. That's so cool. I love that. Um, well, since that is in your interest area, I would love it if you could clarify kind of the difference between direct trade, fair trade, and single origin. Um, mm -hmm. Just because people seem to have those questions. I know I have those questions on a regular basis when I shop. Like if I had to choose between the two or something, like what those differences are. Yeah, well... The fair trade is usually, usually when a coffee is referred to as fair trade, it has an actual certification as fair trade, so a label, and that is run through uh, one of the fair trade organizations. Um, and that means that there's a minimum price set that the farmers will get for that coffee um, that they sell as fair trade coffee. Um, and so it's like a price floor. So the problem, one of the problems that farmers face with coffee um, is that the price is very volatile and it can get very low so that it's so low they can't actually even survive on the price that they're getting for the coffee. And um, there's a lot of causes to the volatility, which we could also talk about. But the fair trade, they, they pay a certain amount um, per pound. I guess they pay a certain amount for the certification and then they get a certain amount per pound that's guaranteed. So if the world price falls below that, they're getting more per pound. You know, let's say they're getting three cents more per pound or five cents more per pound or whatever it is. Um, so those are, they're good in some ways because some of the money they pay for the certification usually gets invested by the organization that does the certification into schools for the local community um, or other like clinics or resources like that. It's also good because it provides some security to the farmers. Okay. Um, one of the problems with it is if there isn't enough demand for fair trade coffee, they may not be able to sell their entire crop of coffee at that price. Mm -hmm. um, so the it can be the, the situation can be such that the world price um, is not too much lower than the 
fair trade price and once they pay for the certification they're not much better off but it, it does they're better off in terms of if the price falls dramatically they won't get into that kind of a crisis Ooh, so okay. that's fair trade um the other one you mentioned two others and one was single origin so yes. single origin means if you're buying that bag of coffee that bag of coffee came from one farm um I believe so. In fact, I myself am still... Conf I need to read and make sure that's exactly accurate. But that's how I have understood it. It could be from one cooperative, but I believe it's coming from one farm. So um, it's at least not just a random mix of coffees from different places. It's not... That's kind of what the single origin means. Okay. And usually implied in that is that you can know what the farm is and what their standards are. You know, that they are paying, you know, the farmer's getting a good price, but unless it's certified by one organization, we don't know for sure, you know, that they got paid by some set standard, okay. um, that their environmental practices were friendly, etc. So that, and that's, I think that direct trade, it's pretty much the same idea. It just means that um, the roasters, for example, are buying the coffee from, directly from the farmers. Okay. But... That the reason I want to research this precisely is that I don't think there's any kind of certification for direct trade, and so or even the single origin necessarily. So, how do we know? I think it's actually good in one sense because if it avoids the problem of, for example, having to pay for a certification in mm -hmm. order to get a good price, um, it cuts out those bureaucratic costs. But what we lose is knowing for sure that people aren't just slapping that label on their coffee, that yeah. they're actually meeting a standard. So that's why the organizations are actually effective and useful. Interesting. Okay, that's kind of what I thought when I had looked at, like, when you're in the store and you see the fair trade versus direct trade and mm -hmm. uh, single origin. I have noticed that fair trade typically is that symbol as long as the farmer could afford to pay to have that mm -hmm. certification. Um, and I've always have kind of wondered with direct trade and single origin, I'm like, is that legit? I don't know. Um well, so. also, there was a farm that I went to in Colombia this summer mm -hmm. that was run by the uh, Jesuit, um, and he talked to me about, he calls it the certification of confidence. He's oh. Said, <laughs> um, and what he means is he works directly with a roaster in the United States, mm -hmm. and his coffee is, he's using sustainable agricultural methods, and so it's organic, and he's not using pesticides or anything like that, and he pays the farmers really well. Um, but there's no, like, he doesn't want to, like, pay for a certification. He just mm -hmm. has trust. The roaster comes to visit every year, and they have trust between each other that they're doing this, and then the customers then trust the roaster that they're selling. So, Ooh, that's so cool. I know, because I've been there, and I've yeah. talked to that roaster, that that particular coffee is actually, you know, organic and fair trade. Fair trade in the sense of they're paying a fair price. Mm -hmm. But, you know, consumers all over the U.S. don't know that for sure. So right. that's that's an example of that. Interesting. Oh, that's so cool. I like hearing that somebody affiliated with this university is, or Jesuit, I guess, in general, is doing yeah. good things. So it's all really cool. Um, okay, so that was more of the human rights side of things. I also wanted to ask you about more of the environmental side of things. So um, kind of learning the difference between shade-grown, organic, uh, Rainforest Alliance certification, that kind of thing. Okay. So shade grown is really important because uh, for, and we studied this in my 
first-year seminar, and Dr. David Boos actually comes and um, teaches it with me for two or three class sessions. And that's really about um, biodiversity, conserving biodiversity, because coffee was traditionally grown in the forest under shade coverage. And that provided a habitat for birds and butterflies and um, also on the floor of the forest, you know, it provides a certain vegetation for ants and other species. So it's important for that reason. So the bird-friendly label is actually, um, from what I've studied, is the most effective for just the the shade-grown I mean, there's also, I think there's another label called Shade Grum, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I've seen that. It might just say Shade Grum, but I think for certification that um, that bird-friendly is the best because that's obviously why it's the Smithsonian bird-friendly label. Oh, wow. Okay. And they created it precisely so it would be bird-friendly. Yeah. Right? The birds need a habitat with um, a varied structure. Dr. Boos talks about it like a playground. If you just have one layer, you know, it's not, there's not as much to do. But if you have multiple levels and layers and different activities to do, that provides a better habitat for more species of birds and more birds. So um, the other certifications, for example, if we even look at Starbucks standards or the Rainforest Alliance standards, which are two that we look at in the class, they have some requirements for having a certain percentage of shade coverage, meaning like trees that are above the coffee trees, so that the coffee trees are in the shade. Okay. But also, um, they have different standards for the variety of plants, so that you don't just have one type of tree. And there's so there's different things we can talk about. A monoculture shade, where you have only one species of tree next to the coffee trees. Okay. Or a polyculture, um, where you have multiple. And that can be, you know... Planted, or you can talk about a really rustic or traditional setting where it's like literally in the forest that was naturally there, <laughs> and then you're growing the coffee there. And so, um, in biology, they've studied the effectiveness of the different growing habitats for different species. But in general, if we look at those certifications, um, those do have fairly good standards in them the Starbucks Cafe standards and the um, Rainforest Alliance, but they don't. I think the requirements aren't as high because you can actually get a certain percentage of the points. For example, eighty you get 80% of the points, but that includes on criteria that relate to the labor practices, mm-hmm. criteria on other environmental practices. For example, one of the big issues with coffee is polluting the water. Okay. Um, so that farm in Colombia down in... Um, Pasto, outside of Pasto, Colombia, they're actually like catching the rainwater and using it in certain things on the farm, and then they're reusing some of the water they use in certain processes so that that's very sustainable. So there's all kinds of different measures. It's not just a shade okay. uh, issue. Yeah. And then you talked about organic, and some of the, um, the certifications often have something. Organic is maybe one of the criteria and then you have the actual organic label okay. um, and that's sort of like what I talked about with the fair trade where it's a certification and there's verification that you actually meet the standard mm-hmm. and I'm guessing that probably costs money too to get that certification yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay so my next question now that we've kind of covered some of the major ethical issues with coffee um, what are two or three things that you wish consumers would really consider in regard to their coffee purchases and why um, that's a great question, and I think that it's important. I think you've already hit on some of the important things, right? If we don't protect biodiversity, I mean, that could have disastrous consequences. Right. Um, and so, 
and having been in Colombia that has like the I think the highest bird biodiversity and the second highest biodiversity in the world we need to protect those areas which are precisely the areas where coffee is grown close to the equator so that I think is important um However, the shade-grown coffee right now that I find with an actual certification is the most expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to balance the consumer's needs with, like, trying to be more responsible, right? So um, if you... I think the fair trade stuff is important as well. But if you can find coffee that you have... You build that confidence with the roaster that they are going to the farms and you know that it's they're being paid a fair price and that they're good in multiple ways in terms of the environment like but it only has one certification I think that you know at the minimum we can try to do that um if you can afford it try to go for the best certifications and um and of course the best tasting coffee yes of course <laughs> I, by the way I've never had a coffee that was like shade grown single origin fair trade that wasn't delicious I mean those tend to also be really good quality coffee because they're actually taking the time to make sure that it's high quality. Ooh, I like that. So do you think, I guess overall, if somebody is really, really interested, the best thing they could do is just like connect with the local roaster. Like I know there's mm -hmm. Roast House here and people love that for their various ethical reasons. Plus it's right. really good. So maybe mm -hmm. just encourage people in their cities to find yeah. local roasters in Kansas. Well, and there's another consideration, which is of course, small business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, small businesses have a harder time surviving, um, but they're also usually more connected to the local community they are employing a lot of people as well and they the roasters you know if we're talking about roasters or coffee shops you know find the ones that actually have responsible coffee socially responsible coffee with the certifications etc like roast house or you know there are also others in Spokane um like Doma and um, yeah, Doma's really good. Yeah, I've so had them in a while. <laughs> they, when you find a roaster, then you can also find out, well, where do they sell their coffee? What coffee shops, in, mm -hmm. for example, in Spokane sell their coffee? The difficulty comes in for all of us, even you and I, um, even for me, is if you're in a certain locale and you're in a hurry, can you find one of those coffee shops? Right. <laughs> um, but I think the more we demand better, more responsible coffee... Um, the more that will be around and the more for the, the more the farmers themselves can sell of their crop for those prices, you know, and we'll be able to find it in more places too. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, and then my final question for you, you and I had briefly discussed prior that this is kind of a complicated topic. So, mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people wonder how Starbucks kind of measures up to the ethics of the other coffee, I guess, companies, um, do you want to speak to that very much? Or? Um, well, I'll just say that I, from what I've learned so far in teaching the course and doing a little research on it, they aren't as bad as I would have thought originally because I've looked at their standards and um, we look, especially in the class, at the shade standards relating to biodiversity. And like I said, they're not that different from the others, but because you only have to get a certain percentage of the points um, to pass and get the the Starbucks label or whatever, I mean, basically for Starbucks to purchase your coffee, um, it's not necessarily good on a specific dimension. And they don't usually do like a single origin, so you're getting like a blend and it mm -hmm. can have coffee in it that was more environmentally responsible or more, fair, you know, fair trade type responsible. Um, 
I would say that as a corporation, they also do a lot of good things, but it's still a corporation. So if you can support a local business um, over Starbucks, that's good when you can find one nearby. Um, and if you can support buying coffee that is has the labels, that's the labels like bird friendly, for example, that can be better. But, you know, Starbucks isn't the worst, actually. There are... Um, for example, I think some coffee stands are actually worse because they buy the the ones especially that buy it from uh, far away from some retail roaster and it's you don't know where the coffee came from, what their standards were, you know, and you can probably assume that they weren't paid much more than the world price. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, so those, but again, even coffee stands, I've asked at some locally and then I've researched it and some of them weren't buying it from a you know they were buying it from a place that has pretty good standards so it's difficult to navigate for yeah. sure I guess it just matters if, or I guess if you're interested enough in finding out it's easy enough to find the answers if you're yes. just willing to ask the questions I think the starting point needs to be for more people to become aware of what's happening on the producer side I mean mm -hmm. how where is this coffee coming from and how are the farmers affected by the price that we end up paying. And um, that is a starting point for understanding why we should pay attention. And then you can delve deeper and try to find out what's the best coffee for um, to help producers, but also to have the best quality coffee for ourselves, right? Yeah. Because the other thing is quality. I mean, if we talk about Starbucks, they don't have the best quality usually because right. <laughs> they basically... I would say burn a lot of the coffee because they roast it beyond the point that it's at its best. But okay. you have to do that if you have a mix of coffee with different qualities and you have to mask those imperfections. So these small roasters that are buying, you know, organic coffee or direct trade or, you know, um, what's the other term? I just blanked on it. Single oh, the single origin <laughs> coffee. You know where it's coming from and usually you're going to also pay attention to the quality and so they're not going to have to roast it as much and then you actually get more a better coffee flavor. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of Americans have become accustomed to that, like, which I would say is burnt coffee yeah, flavor. Yes, kind of over-roasted, if which you will. <laughs> we grew up thinking, I mean... I didn't even grow up. I'm realizing from my students how old I am that they only know a world with Starbucks. But, you know, we've become accustomed to, as a society as a whole, not everybody, but we've become accustomed to that flavor, and we think that's strong coffee. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be have that burntish flavor to be strong. Right. right. <laughs> so I guess ultimately if somebody is seeking out quality, then they can also generally find that the ethics of the coffee are better and vice versa. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I like that. So not guess, always. It's not a guarantee. <laughs> I think it usually does go hand in hand. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much. Are there any final thoughts or questions or anything from your end? That no, just what I said a minute ago. Just be, you know, educate yourself. Read up if you can about... Um, where your coffee comes from and what are the conditions people are living in that are producing your coffee and that might make you feel a little bit more willing to pay a little bit more for the coffee that you buy. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's an You're honor. Welcome. It was nice chatting with you. Thank you. And this is KindCast.